0: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, it's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We too often invest for the day. I hear people talk about what is working. And in the old days, when the late great Mark Haynes ruled the mornings around here, I remember that each time I co-hosted, he would introduce me as Reverend Jim Bob Kramer from the Church of What's Happening Now. Oh, it was fun back then. seemed like everyone was running their own personal hedge fund. There was an understanding that a stock could be here today and gone tomorrow, and everyone was fine with it. Those days, those days are long over. And if you recommend a stock for a trade, even if you say buy it today for the analyst meeting and sell it tomorrow, sell, 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 there will always be a YouTube video kicking around that shows you liked the stock, but never gave it the sell call. So we've gone well beyond that. Tonight, we are taking it to the next level where I'm introducing you to the concept of suitability. Basically, what stocks fit you? What investments are right for you? Not for this week, not for this month, but for your age and your temperament. I first heard of the concept of suitability when I was in training at Goldman Sachs for the group that helped small institutions and individuals. I had been buying individual stocks for myself and for others for a half decade before I got to Goldman in 83 as a summer intern. At the time, I was watching Financial News Network between classes at Harvard Law School. That was the predecessor to CNBC. When I could, I'd run over to the Harvard Business School Library, where they had old research reports from long gone firms like Baish, Shearson Lehman about stocks totally on a catch-as-catch-can basis. It's so nostalgic to look back to what I, I would do next after I found a stock I liked. I would ask the kind librarian for a microfiche of the firm's SEC filings. These were little pieces of plastic you stuck into a machine and you read the filings, all of which you were lucky enough maybe would be only six months old. Everything I did back then is now online and instant and updated. The imperfections in the market back then were legion. Now everyone can know everything, but more on that later in this show. I would spend all week trying to find one stock that I thought would work, one stock that would be good for one week, where anyone who wanted to invest could take the idea and then run with it. And then I would take my answering machine and give you a 20-second wrap on that stock. Answering machines, can you imagine? Some companies used to make them uh, with all those jobs wiped out by your cell phone. Right. Answer machines. Same with answering services, for that matter. Talk about jobs that aren't coming back no matter who's the president. Anyway, I would say, hi, this is Jim. I'm not here right now, but I like both the chart and the recent numbers from People Express. A long since bankrupt airline that I used to jet down to New York for job interviews. My best one. A recommendation for Monolithic Memories, a smoke show of a company with the red hot stock that was run by Zev Drurya, who two day- decades later helped save Tesla back when that car maker was struggling. Yeah, Drurya, in 2007, 2008. He was the last CEO before Elon Musk. Anyway, Monolithic shot up like a rocket that weekend, all the way it ended up with a big bid from Advanced Micro Devices. That was far down the road. It was the best Kramer's Not At Home call, machine hit I ever had. And believe it or not, Jim is not home, became a rallying cry for lots of people who were calling me back then, hoping I wasn't home so they could get the tip without having to deal with me. Not long after I got a job at Goldman Sachs, one of the officers at the firm called me in and got the machine with its recommendation. He told me to call him as soon as possible. I did. And he asked me if I knew what suitability was. I had no idea. Suitability. I mean, like, you know, how's my suit fit? I mean, I didn't even have a suit. So he introduced me to the concept. He asked me, did I ever consider that many people who called me and got my answering machine might not be ready for the stock of the hottest semiconductor company in the land? And that I was recommending it to them one on one without any sense of whether it was right for them? I said that I always thought that stocks were pretty much a caveat emptor situation. We all know that, unlike, say, vacuum cleaners, you can't take stocks back. They come with no guarantees, so what's the deal? The executive explained to me that before you recommended a stock on a one-to-one level at a registered brokerage house, you had to know what that person wanted, what he wanted out of the stock. You wanted to know if the stock was right for them and for their tolerance and risk. Monolithic memories, he said, yeah, monolithic memories. Wasn't exactly the right for uh, anyone other than bungee jumpers and K2 climbers or something like that. It was a long time ago. So let's start there. Tonight, I want you to ask yourself, what is your risk tolerance? How much risk do you want out of a given stock? You see, stocks are pretty peculiar pieces of merchandise when you think of them. You buy a car, and you know it's not worth as much as when it leaves the lot, right? I mean, the moment they take it off there. But there are all sorts of warranties. You buy a house, and you know that it could burn down the next day. However, before you buy it, you get a binder with insurance, so if it does burn down, you get your money back. Clothes can be returned. Devices return. Phones, PCs, washers, dryers, you name it. But stocks? Stocks. You buy a share of Nike and the next day Goldman Sachs downgrades it, and the day after Foot Locker says there's been a slowdown in Jordan's, you can't go back to your broker and say, hey, chief, you never told me this could happen. I'm down three bucks and 2,000 shares. I'm out six grand. I want that six grand. I want it back. Caveat Emptor. Now, it would have been incumbent upon the broker back then when I got started to recognize that the buyers would know these things could happen. Maybe the broker should never have been recommending stocks to begin with, no matter You get the point, because you can't take stocks back and get the stock price, the same price that you paid, because there is no real insurance, although you could buy an expensive put underneath with a cost that lowers the return of Nike pretty dramatically and has to be renewed constantly. Suitability. The concept of suitability is incredibly important. That's why for the next hour, you're going to learn about a way to measure your own tolerance versus a variety of factors. Because these days, with electronic brokers, there's no real protection. Just a, a signed form that say, you get it. You know what you're getting into. And you accept it. Tonight, the bottom line, that stops here. By the end of this show, you will know what suits you and what doesn't, no matter what your age or your style. Or to put it this way, caveat emptor? No. Just buy or be a little more aware of what you might be committing your hard-earned dollars to when you pull the trigger on a buy. Buy, buy, buy! Anne-Marie in New York. Anne-Marie! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Can you talk a little bit about trimming our profits? Because I get eager and I start trimming when I'm up 10% tenor- 20%, which I know you'd say is a high-quality problem, but can you talk a little bit more about the trimming? It is a high-quality problem, but what would happen if you kept doing that was that you would miss out on some of the greatest, greatest, greatest stocks in the history of man that you may actually own. What I suggest you do is, is move that up a little. I don't think you should start selling to you're up around 25 30% and only sell about a quarter position. When you're up about 60 70%, this is a change from the old days, I think then you should sell a little more, but then you got to let it run. And if it comes back, you can buy some. I just don't want you to lose a, the a, a great opportunity unless the story changes. And then it's sell, 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 sell. Oh, immediately. Lito in Texas. Lito. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I am good. How about you? Uh, my question is, as a recent early retiree and one who is anticipating, you know, a possible market correction in okay. the near future. Okay. Should I allocate a stock index fund now from a stable income uh, fund, or should I wait until after the market has corrected? No, I mean, if you're in retirement stage, I still want you to own equities, but I don't want you to have as much equity exposure. Uh, you, you really should own more than 50 percent. That's actually a lot if you're retired. Now, I want you to own some, obviously, because people who retire tend to live 20, 30, 40 years longer than they thought. But no, I mean, taking the cash out, uh, don't necessarily put them in bonds when interest rates are higher. But you know what? You'll put money back if the market really craters. Otherwise, I think you'd be fine, and you got to let it ride. Marlow in Illinois. Marlow. Jim, you talk about index funds. Can you please tell us the difference between index funds and ETFs and maybe give us a couple of examples? Well, not, there's not much there. It's different. What I want you to do, I, I, I always default to what Warren Buffett says. Warren Buffett says you should buy the Vanguard index fund. It's the lowest cost fund. Uh, Vanguard's very easy to get to. I just want to go with, with Warren Buffett, the greatest investor. Why? Well, Warren Buffett, what am I going to do, argue with him? That's never been a great call. All right, all right, no more excuses. I'm helping you form the necessary investing strategies you need at all stages of your life tonight. From young to old, I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. On Mad Money Tonight, we're kicking things off by beginning in the crib. Forget binkies. Here are the two stocks you should be buying to give a newborn a much-needed head start. Then teenagers typically have a lot to learn, but there's an important investing lesson everyone can get from them as well. I'll fill you in. Plus, from your 20s to your golden years, my definitive guide to where your money should be sitting at any age. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What's better than Mad Money? How about more Mad Money? Follow Mad Money on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to go one-on-one with Kramer. What other questions do we have? ah i always tell people you got to start with an index button because i need you to be diversified get more with guests how do you stay sharp? and go behind the scenes with the most interactive show on television if you can't explain in three bullets why you're buying a certain stock don't buy it follow mad money today Welcome to a special show about you, about knowing what you can and can't do because it's, not, because it's not right for you. Welcome to a special show about suitability. The first kind of suitability we will discuss is age suitability. I want to start with kids, particularly with infants. Man Money's been on so long now that there are kids who were born who are in their teens, and if their parents listened to the show when it started, they would already be well on their way towards some great wealth. Parents, grandparents, listen up. You can give all sorts of things to families that had just had babies. I want you to open up accounts for them. Or at least give them some shares of stock so that from the earliest moment you can start the process of saving that you have to do. Now, here's my commercial for what everyone seems to have come around to, which is the notion of index funds. We have come through a period where almost all stocks pretty much traded together, and we have seen so many managers been let go or fired because they can't beat the market. So you can take a couple of hundred dollars and buy some shares in an index fund. I'm partial to the Standard & Poor's 500 because those 500 stocks represent the bedrock of the country's publicly traded companies. As a companion, I like any sort of total return fund that is an even broader array of stocks. A mix of both is a very good start. People ask me these all the time. Total return and S&P 500. Your broker or the brokerage site you use might have some fund that is uh, a higher growth, a junior growth fund. That can be a nice augmentation because you are buying for an infant who has his or her whole life ahead of them. These kinds of funds can really compound over time, meaning that if you let it run, the money can build upon itself. Now, you might be saying, why am I watching a show about stocks if all this guy is doing is talking about index funds? I can come in here every night and talk about SIM, but it wouldn't make for a very interesting show. More important, though, is the kind of investing I am talking about. The comparison we hear about index funds is to actively manage funds. This show is geared to people who are interested in their money and want to be more involved to make it grow or are curious and want to learn about stocks. I believe that you can build a portfolio yourself that can do better than most managers and funds. But I am perfectly sanguine about the notion that they can coexist. I just wish the proselytizers of index funds weren't such fundamentalists about how bad everything else is. Their lack of flexibility is so stunning. Yet I've had a career of picking stocks better than the market, and I saw so many investors when I worked at Goldman Sachs who would never settle for average and didn't. So I say, let's give both a try. What's a good stock for a kid just born? I think you should pick two. One with a dividend where you can reinvest the dividend and get the power of compounding going for you, meaning that each year a dividend might be increased and you may be able to buy some more stock with that dividend. We often hear the term dividend aristocrats, uh, companies that have long history, specifically more than 25 years of increasing dividends. I like that. Which one's come to mind that we have liked historically on the show? Well, let's start with 3M and Procter & Gamble. Kimberly Clark, PepsiCo. Any one of them would be great stocks to buy a share of. Then we want something with a little more juice. Okay, I think of FANG when I suggest these. That's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet, formerly known as Google, hence the G. Why these? I think that Facebook has the ultimate mode about it. It's a rapidly growing site where you provide the content and they provide the ads. It's a brilliant company, Deep Bench. Amazon? There's a $4 trillion market for retail goods in the world, and Amazon only has a small fraction of it. Netflix? This is a company that wants so much to dominate entertainment with a management that intuitively recognizes what you want when you want it, game changer. Why do I still like this alphabet? I mean, isn't that played out? No, no, no. It's because it dominates search, which happens to be just the moment you want to buy something so the advertisers love it. There's a balance sheet of beauty and a whole passel of people working to invent something new to supplant or complement search. Oh, and Waymo may be the ultimate in autonomous driving vehicles. These are just examples. They're about growth. I know that it seems rather commercial to do what I want done here. But I also think that given how poor income growth has been for so many people in this country, it is important to try to augment the other side of the ledger, the savings side. There's no time like the present. One other thought I like. You know, I believe that gold and silver are terrific insurance components to any portfolio. We'll discuss this concept more later in this show. But a highly unusual yet totally blessed by me idea is to buy gold or silver coins for people or pieces of gold or silver, silver, the actual. I bought slivers of silver for my kids from a dealer and pretty much forgotten about them. They may or may not increase. They are the polar opposites of growth or income stocks. They don't throw off money. They don't do anything. But in crazy times where inflation could come roaring back, there's nothing that holds up in value under that scenario better than mansions, masterpiece art, and precious metals. One caveat. If you do this, remember to put the gold or silver in a safe place. And that does not mean putting it under the mattress or a hole in the ground. A safety deposit box is more my style. Plenty more mad money ahead, including more about the most valuable asset in the stock market. Time! The action you need to take today to set yourself or your kids up for financial success. Then they've been the source of some of my greatest investing ideas of all time. you probably got the same resource, but are you paying attention? I'll call you in. And unfortunately, I don't look anything like how I did in my 20s today. Your money should change with age, too. I'll explain how. So stay with Kramer. Mr. Kramer, absolutely love the show. We really appreciate you out there, man. Booyah to my kids, Emma and Aiden. They're in elementary school learning so much from you. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. I know you hear this all the time, Jim, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This has been my best year by far and away in the market. I just want to thank you for, you know, looking out for the regular guys out there. I am trying to teach people to be better investors, and I am doing my darn best. That's the goal here. Great to hear your voice and know that you're there for us. We're going over knowing thyself, how to pick stocks knowing they're right for you. We've discussed the importance of suitability and the essence of what's suitable for the newborns. But what about suitable for the kids? What do you do for them? This is when you make your move. This is when you decide that you are going to get them involved in what stocks are, pieces of companies they might like. Now let's be honest, you couldn't explain to a kid what a stock is to save his or her life. That's not how I grew up in my house. As much as I love sports, we had World Series tickets for the 64 World Series, given they were six and a half games up with 12 to play. Of course, we blew them all and didn't make it. In my house, stocks were supreme. You see, my father had gotten a tip from his brother who knew a stockbroker who played tennis with to go buy the shares of a company called National Video, which for all I know would have uh, made it could have made it if it started right now as Facebook Live show. But it was a total bust that cost us fortunes. He'd always bring home the Philadelphia Bolt in the afternoon edition and wouldn't give me the sports section. He would give me the business section. I would look up closing prices. The market closed early back then, and i tried to anticipate based on moving averages of how stocks were doing and what they would do next. It was a game of momentum, and a lot of time, I only knew the stocks by their abbreviations in the agate type. But it was a fun game, and I kept the ledger. I kept the ledger to see uh, SCM, IBM, Polaroid, You know, Xena, Xerox, National Video, I had Texas Gulf Sulfur, an LTV, a Rockwell, a host of other companies that have disappeared, but have since, well, let's just say been acquired or still hang out and trade. I also had a lot of airline stocks because suckers were always buying those. Eastern, National, mostly Braniff, too. They were household names because of advertising. I like the stock picking process so much, I got the whole fifth grade class of Penn Manor involved. We would all pick stocks and keep track of the closing prices for a week to see who could make the most money. Problem is, of course, uh, I was working the exact opposite of what I should have been doing, right? Although metaphorically, what I was doing is uh, still being done now, just picking stocks by how fast they were climbing and backing away from them if their climb seemed extended or slowed velocity. That's called momentum investing. Investing. What I should have been doing is picking the stocks of companies I knew and asked to be be able to buy the shares in them. So let's go over what would have been right and what was wrong in the picture I just presented, which would have been compared to Goofus and Gallon from the Highlights magazines that you always found in the dentist's office back then. Goofus, first of all, would never have taken a tip from his brother who had taken a tip from his tennis partner, who worked, by the way, for the aforementioned Beish. Pop, I would later learn, had no idea what National Video was or did. Uh, You can find out more in Google now than you could find from Jack the broker then. National Video made picture tubes. In the old days, when you had a problem with your television, it was usually because the tube inside had blown. The technology left National Video behind and it went bankrupt and it closed its doors about five years after Pop bought it. But it had been going straight down since about five days after Pop first purchased the stock. He averaged down too many times to tell. But I know there was many a silent meal because of that day's decline in national video stock. There were a host of stocks to have chosen from back then in the 1960s. Most weren't that good, according to the averages, but there were dividends to be had. And in retrospect, what we needed more than anything else was income. Me, the idea of picking stocks simply because they were going up was antithetical to the idea of buying stocks in companies and was more suited to darth throwing. At least I bought the hot ones when in retrospect. Many, uh, made, made sense because many were defense contractors, and we were just beginning Lyndon Johnson's buildup of the Vietnam War efforts. It was a lot of fun. But in retrospect, you know what? I learned the most about stocks from two 3M board games, Acquirer, and a fabulous game called Stocks and Bonds. My father sold games for 3M back then, and Acquire was all about mergers and acquisitions. And Stocks and Bonds was a fantastic game about accumulating wealth through risky or conservative stocks. These days, we have whole fantasy leagues of stocks, but little taught you more than the board game. And it could hold up till this day. Now, let's go back in time and, I think, and think about what I could have done. First, when you're a boy or a girl, you play with toys. It would have been such a natural to have bought shares in Mattel or Hasbro if you looked at some of the financials. Now, I'm not asking the kids to know what it means to own shares in a company in terms of price to earnings or even earnings. But I am simply saying that it is a way to teach kids that a company can be owned by the public and you can own a share in a company. Hey, they know toys. I bet you they'd pick Hasbro over Mattel. Of course, the irony should not be lost to my family. Can you imagine if my father had bought shares in 3M for me rather than national video? I mean, 3M is what we call a dividend aristocrat. A company has increased its dividend more than 25 years. That's quite a statement. If we had just looked at the spine. Speaking of dividend aristocrats, we had a box of Cheerios on our breakfast table every day of our lives. We could have bought General Mills. What a fantastic stock that would have been. And then there's the really easy ones. Who didn't want to go to Disney World? It's that factor, and not how many people cut ESPN off in the end. That's what matters. It's the, the intellectual property, the library, the library alone should make you want to own shares in the company. But the theme park, I mean, come on. Let's not have think this game. I don't know about you, but Johnson Johnson's Band-Aids, baby powder, and shampoo were staples in our house. I knew as well as uh, I knew to wipe my nose with Kleenex. These are things that aren't even taught. They are embossed. They are imprinted. Finally, there's fast food. I know that McDonald's today may not seem like something you would necessarily want to invest in because of the quality of the food, but the CEO is committed to making the company more natural and organic over time. Let's face it. The whole food chain would be upended if this giant were to just switch its policies in a day. A burger would cost a fortune, and McDonald's would have to crater its earnings for years. So buy a name brand, something they can see and hear and touch or even like. Put it away. Stock won't always work out. But think of what you liked when you were little or what your parents liked when they were little. Look, if it trades, you more than likely have a winner. So the bottom line, if you want to get your kids to investing, buy a brand name, not this year's version of national video, something they can see and hear and touch and even like. Yeah, just own it. The stock won't always work, but think of what you liked when you were little. And remember that you may have a long-term winner on your hands. Let's go to Judy in Texas. Judy. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you, Judy? I'm great, thank you. Hey, um, my son William has been very interested in buying stocks, and um, he's calling. He's calling with me now. Um, and my dad gave him some money to purchase some stocks. So we're looking at his very first stock purchase, and we're wondering how we look at um, what stocks to buy. Like, where should he start? Okay, he should look at uh, things that uh, common common household things that he sees and you see. And then what you want to do is you want to figure out how much money you want to put in it. And you put a quarter of it in. A quarter of it, because if the market goes down immediately, then they'll say, this is a sucker's game. I don't want to be in it. Put a quarter in and then wait for another three months, another quarter, and then hopefully you'll get a sell-off and you'll be ready to buy. If not, put the rest of the money to work by the end of the year. But make it in household name brands that everybody knows and can sink their teeth in. Let's go to Carol in Florida. Carol. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you, Carol? Good, good. I read and enjoyed Confessions of a Street Addict. Oh, thank you. And I want to give kudos to your hero, Mrs. Kramer. Yeah. You know, she knew how to trade better than anybody else in the world. Good for her and good for you. I'd like to know your opinion on buying gold and silver as a hedge against the market and our monetary system. I think it's look, I think cash is the best hedge, Okay, against the market, against the monetary system. You're absolutely right with gold. I happen to like actual physical gold. I actually like buying gold coins. If you can't afford those, the GLD will do. It's not as good. The stocks will not work because they tend not to reflect the price of gold. So if you do buy gold bullion, please do not keep it in your house. Put it in a safety deposit box. But I I think you're dead right about the idea. Stocks don't need to be abstract certificates or numbers and letters behind a password-protected screen. They're real. You can touch, taste, and play with them. With kids, that's often the best place to start. Still more mad money ahead, including investing advice from one of the wisest groups of people around, teenagers. I'll explain next. Plus, a serious piece of investing wisdom that I think is dead wrong and could be wreaking havoc on your money right now. And I'm taking your questions tweet by tweet. So send them my way with mad tweets, and stay with Kramer. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. know that teenagers are incorrigible. The last thing they want to hear about is stocks. They have bigger fish to fry. To which I say, so what? I'm not going to tell them what to buy. I'm going to let them tell me. People who watch this show have been huge beneficiaries of the innate consumer wisdom of my two daughters. Why do you think you might have heard me say that I like Domino's? Sure, I met with Patrick Doyle the day he became CEO and stock was 10 bucks. Yes, the stuff did taste like cardboard before we reformulated the pizza. I did like that whole line of advertising and told you I thought it was a good spec. But my kids, they liked the Trat and they liked Joe's. They were local. Most pizza's local. I wasn't so picky. I tried it and I liked it. And I liked the speed of it. So sure, I recommended it. But that's not what made this stock a mad money crown jewel. Nope, it was the technology behind DPZ. My kids, most likely like your kids, hate talking on the phone. They think it is for losers, but apps, they love them. And when my kids discovered the Domino's app, they were sold. No talking to people who might get their order wrong. No worries about where their pizza was in the process. That's two things that the two great local joints couldn't do. And a no cheese option for the vegetarians, the one that asked twice about the cheese, as in, are you sure you want no cheese? Finally, there was the joy of being able to pay online before the delivery person got there. Kids don't want to fuss with money either. All this technology was totally lost on me. I never minded the phone, was always patient about when the pizza would arrive, never cared about the interchange with the delivery person, kind of liked it. In short, I was not like the target audience. That's why I always called Domino's a tech company that sells pizza. Many of you know by now the story of how I found the stock of Apple. When my youngest daughter asked for a second iPod, not because she had lost it, as I immediately accused her of, but because she wanted another color. They were fashion accessories. Personal computers, I mean, come on. My various employers have never embraced Apple, but my kids are kids, and they would rather be caught dead than have a non-Apple brand. When the new computers come out, they check the resolution. If it improves the performance of Netflix, more on that in a second, then they want them. They want them as presents despite the costs, which as they get older, they actually start knowing about. The iPhone is more controversial. They don't like change. They didn't like the plug change. Eh, They don't want to hear about the earbuds. But what they really don't want is the Samsung. They're part of the Apple ecosystem proudly, the much derided, much ignored Apple ecosystem, at least by the analysts, with its service charges that make it so that they have to pay to have all of their millions of pictures stored. When my kids come to me and beg me for a Samsung, you know what? You might hear me say some different things about Apple than I currently do. Your kids won't know much about income or the power of compounding, but what they will know, what they will know is how to feel guilty that they feel about the amount of phone charges they rack up, right? You think I have been recommending Verizon since the beginning of this show for nothing? It's the cash cow that your kids turn you on to that is continue and will continue to work, even as there's very little growth. How about this? Google it, Dad. Yeah, that's how I found out about Google now, alphabet. And when I got the word from the kids that they weren't allowed to Google something they were involved in at school because it was cheating, oh, that was enough for me. When I was doing my senior thesis at Harvard to do some mindless name-dropping, we had access to the fabulous librarians at the Houghton Library. Their job? To look up anything that you wanted looked up. They had to go to the stacks for you as they were called and find out things that you wouldn't know where to begin with. I wonder whatever happened to those jobs. My kids aren't into sports. They get the news from their iPhones and they get their entertainment from Netflix. Is it the homemade content like Luke Cage or House of Cards or Jessica Joes or Narcos? Is it the simple interface? The desire for them to watch what they want to watch? All of them. I reluctantly signed up so we could watch things together. No, Fang isn't all of their creation. I figured out Amazon. But Facebook, like I said, I went to Harvard. When you were a freshman, you got a book. It was called the Facebook. And it had everyone's picture in it. Facebook is a derivation of Facebook. My kids were on Facebook earlier. My youngest got sick of Facebook early on, probably because I got on it. But then she went to Instagram, which Facebook cleverly made it so you really didn't know it was part of something that older people had discovered I didn't think the ads worked until we were inundated with Red Hot Chili Pepper merchandise because a, a click on something that, as my daughter said, wasn't an ad at all. It was just a linked ad. Oh, Lordy. Does everyone else dream that their ad is just a link? But it seems that only Mark Zuckerberg has the forethought to care about the user experience to such an extent that it works like that. All right, how about Chipotle? The kids love the fresh and organic Chipotle salad. Still do. They're vegetarians. My youngest returned pretty early on after that food-sickening incident, uh, the only difference being that she did take out because she didn't want to be seen inside because she thought that people would say, wow, what is she doing inside? It's Chipotle. All right, nothing's perfect. Uh, but they uh, their picks, they will do. And what if the picks themselves aren't any good? What if they aren't? They, 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 your kid likes a device that fits in your head and takes pictures or that it fits on her wrist and measures steps. Okay, that's the cost of learning. It happens, GoPro. It happens, Fitbit. Remember, they have their whole lives ahead of them to make that money back if it is a screw-up. You see, that's a beautiful thing about teen investing. You can lose it, and no one may end up noticing in the end. You pull the same kind of thing later in real life, like me, it's got consequences. But the bottom line is that for now, you can learn from your teenage children. Trust me. Invest with them, and you won't regret it. Bad Money is back after the break. So how about the rest of our lives? What are we thinking about suitability then? Sadly, from here on in, things get less and less suitable. Not initially. When you're in college, I don't expect you to put any money away at all. College costs too much. When I used to do my college tours, i try to get people to buy a share or two of a stock. But college taps the living daylights out of you in so many financial ways, I now regard it as a total hardship to even contemplate savings. But once you are out in the real world, it's imperative that you save preferably through a 401k plan, at work, or self-directed IRA. I always prefer the latter because you can pick stocks, not just pick from options that your company forces down your throat. I'm sorry, that your company gives you and you have to pay a fee. That's for another show. This is where you have to begin the mix, though, of index funds and individual stocks. There's too much risk in individual stocks to just put together a portfolio of them of your own choosing. So at a minimum, I am demanding that you put your first $10,000 beyond what you have from your first 20 years into an index fund, the S&P 500 being my favorite, as I mentioned before. Now, I know that some will argue with that. I I see them arguing on Twitter. I don't care. I know the truth. The possibility of one really bad stock hurting your nest egg even as early as in your 20s is simply too risky for this guy. With an index fund, no one stock or even sector can do that to you. But with the rest of your money, I do like stocks, and I want you to be diversified. It's why we play Am I Diversified here when we can, where I try to explain what diversification is in a breezy way. It's why we created a club, the Plus.com Club at the Street, to show you how to invest, the ones that involve my Chapel Trust. I say involves because the trust is only allowed to invest alongside club members. When I haven't mentioned the stock, the restrictions are that great, yes, to protect you. But I can tell you that if you want in-depth work on the stocks we talk about on this show and almost daily updates about a lot of them with, with a once-a-week update of all of them, well, then ActionAlertsPlus.com, the thing I created, it's a way to go. I set it up because I always talk about buying homework. I tell you that you need to buy a stock, but then you have to keep up with it. Remember back uh, to earlier in the show when I discussed how hard it was to do the homework? Those trips to the Harvard Business School Library to study month-old research and microfiche? Now it's so easy that I have had to scrap one of my earliest tenants when I started the Street.com in the 90s. You no longer need to spend a couple of hours a week studying your stocks. You need to read the conference calls. You can Google articles galore. So many that you'll get sick of the process very quickly. You can have articles and research pushed to you, along with charts that I would have only dreamt of at one point in my career. Or you, uh, you can read what we write at AxelorsPlus.com if you own one of those stocks. Whatever makes you most comfortable to be able to take charge of your money. That's what I want. Confident, not overconfident. Remember, I want you to be a good manager of your money or a good client. I don't even have a preference. It's at this stage that it's important to know my, uh, thyself, not myself, but thyself in terms of risk. Until you get to this age, I want you to take all the risks you can, whether you like it or not. In other words, I would like to think I have more knowledge of what you can tolerate than you do. But when you get to your 20s, all I can do is ask, ask you to think about what you will do in a sell off. Will you buy more? Or will you cut and run? Do you have the wherewithal to take a decline and buy more? Or does it sicken you and wish you had no exposure? Can you accept that stocks go down? Not a silly question, given how they've gone up over time, but have periodic swoons. These are crucial questions that only you can answer. I would like you to take more risk in more individual stocks that have growth characteristics once you have put away that $10,000. That's my preference. But I would hate to see you commit more than 20% of your money, your mad money, to individual stocks. That would not be my preference. As you get older, I want you to capture more income by owning more stocks that pay dividends. Perhaps I had a fund that boasts of higher dividends than the S&P 500. But don't be too quick to do so. In fact, I would not advise you to do that until your 30s. Only in your 40s do I want to introduce bonds to your portfolio. By this time, you should have been able to put enough away that bonds, even lower-earning bonds, will protect some of your invested capital. Now, in the old days, it would have been heresy to suggest that you don't start investing in fixed income by your 30s, let alone your 40s. The problem with that is twofold. Life expectancy. Many people are outrunning their fortunes, and then the lack of good fixed-income alternatives that don't entail a ton of risk. That's why I favor higher-yielding stocks to most bonds. Although I recognize as you age, most bonds do have that non caveat emptor provision. You can and do get your money back. As you enter your 60s, it's easy to see how you can put up to 50% of your money into bonds and take bonds up 10% more each decade, as I mentioned earlier, to a caller. But that brings us back to the notion of suitability. If you can't handle the risk, if you think the stock market is simply not as legitimate an asset class as it once was because it's prone to such deep valleys or what, in retrospect, look like overblown threats, or flash crashes for that matter, Then I think you have to decide yourself if cashing out or taking stocks to minimal levels is right for you. The bottom line, it's your life, not mine. So get comfortable with what you can live with. But risk, at least until your middle years, should remain a friend. Stay with Kramer. Mad Money, we love to see families investing together. Often, locking in a best-of-breed stock at an early age can set you up for life so your wealth can grow with your age. So we're kicking off this edition of Mad Tweets with some Kramerican families. So let's get started. First, we hear from Rico Z, who says, At Jim Kramer, get him started young. I like that. That, shows, that kid obviously has horse sense. Here you go. I mean, I don't know whether... Well, there's some charts in there. Maybe kid likes the charts, too. All right? Holds up under m- much pressure. Next, we have a tweet from David who said, At Jim Kramer, awesome time at a Phillies game on this day a few years ago. Sat next to you and your dad. Oh, that is terrific. Yeah, we, we had a great time with Pop. Pa- Pop and I used to love to go to games all the time. And, I, of course, I was a vendor with the Phillies. So Mike Schmidt remains my favorite player. All right. Now... Uh, Sometimes we come across some families that are truly cadre to the show and kids that have real horse sense. You think you know your CEOs? Nobody is going to stump at Pounds the Poodle's kid. Arrow Electronics. Michael Lodge. Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg. Twitter. Jack And your favorite for the opening bell? And well, that's it. I mean, that is that should be a show on its own. This guy should have a show on its own. I mean, that is an unbelievable... Boy, new Arrow electronic I not the like Arrow here, by the way, just so you know. And Facebook I like, too. Twitter, I don't know. Maybe we do a little change at the top there. All right. That, just kidding. All right, next up, Patrick Tucker asks, at Jim Kramer, serious question, are accounting issues pretty much always because of some level of shadiness or can honest mistakes be made Oh, God, this is I could spend a whole say I may have to do a whole segment on this someday because the answer is honest mistakes can be made. And a lot of times my rule will keep you out of a situation where there's an honest mistake and then the stock takes off. But there are other cases where it's not honest and you lose everything. So I am going for the maximum risk situation as opposed to the minimum one. And I can't really tell from the outside which is which which is why I'm so cautious. Now a tweet from Adio Samuels, who wrote, at Jim Kramer, my brother's 26 with no 401k offer in his job. Should he open a Roth or traditional IRA to get his retirement savings going? Should he to his tax accountant? I prefer the Roth. At Sonu Johar tweeted, at Jim Kramer, you have repeatedly said you prefer individual stocks over index ETFs. Do you have a write-up somewhere explaining why? Okay, remember, first I want I do want an index. I want an S&P 500 fund, and then I want you to put your first 10000 there, and then I want you to continue to use that as your retirement vehicle, but I also think that you should be able to try to pick some of the best stocks that would normally be in an ETF because I trust you. You watch the show. You're doing the work. Let's make some money together in individual stocks, too, not denigrating mutual funds, not denigrating index funds, saying let's own some stocks as a mad money situation. Up next is a tweet from C.S. Bowles, who wrote, At Jim Cramer, just bought Get Rich Carefully. Well, we had a kid earlier just looking at it. And look forward to a fun and informative read. Enjoy your show, too. I haven't written a book in a while. The reason I like Get Rich Carefully, frankly, is because it is an in-depth look of how to pit stocks against each other. And... The mistakes that I have made, so many at times, and I detail them all embarrassingly so you can learn from them. And now, here's a tweet from Eric Wolf who wrote, at Jim Cramer, you talk about heavy short selling interest. What percent would you call heavy? 10%. If I see 10% shorted, I sense that something could be wrong. Gotta do your work, gotta figure out if the shorts are wrong. They often are. But that's what the percentage is that I look for. Uh, Coach has tweeted, at Jim Kramer, what do you recommend to keep squirrels out of the garden? Okay, we do not, we have, I got triple fence, I have boxes, I have underneath, I've got more fence, and I've got chicken wire. Man, we got the whole shooting match, and they don't get in. Uh, But you know what? My other box, they get in, and I just have to throw the stuff away. So do what you can with as much fence. I spend way too much time thinking about fencing. Uh, uh, it is a preoccupation of mine. Muazilias wrote at Jim Cramer. It would be great if you could shed some light on the age-targeted 401k portfolios. Are they well thought? We'll appreciate your advice. I look. Yeah, I just think the index funds are better. And you know, and then you can lower at times. You can lower how much index fund exposure and raise cash. And that's a better way to look at it. I just think that's a much smarter and uh, modern way than trying to assess what may be in an age-related fund. Stick with Kramer. Hey, Kramer. You are currently coaching three generations of my family with our portfolios, and your enthusiasm keeps my kids engaged, and I love that. Thank you and your staff for your logical insights and sound advice in an illogical world. Death t- in <sighs> It's on the move, and I've got to see this <laughs> carp <Carter>, what happened? <laughs> I bought a lot of um, uh, gold toast socks. I, I, I got such a, it was a steal. Who famously asked Babe Ruth back in 1930, "How is it possible that he made eighty thousand dollars a year when President Herbert Hoover was paid just seventy-five thousand dollars? <laughs> I had a better year than you did. Unlike Billy in the Predator, we're not all going to die. i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.